Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 122 of The Writership Podcast. Today, we're talking about conflict. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Certified Story Grid Editor, Courtney Harrell. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. As you know, the podcast is sponsored by Jim Kukral from the Author Marketing Club. Jim just launched his new service for authors called Happy Book Reviews. We all know that books with more high-quality reviews sell more copies. HappyBookReviews.com is a surface where Jim hopes to make your book happy with reviews. Check out the options at www.HappyBookReviews.com because nobody likes a sad book. You can make your book happy with reviews. Hey, Courtney. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> so we met at the at the story grid training and we got yeah. to we even we were roomies uh, yeah. <laughs> while we were staying there in Nashville. So we got to know each other pretty well. Um, <laughs> and so you are a story grid editor, but you also do middle grade fiction. Yep, I do. Under the pen name Phoenix Rider. Phoenix Rider. Phoenix with an F, writer with a Y. Yeah. 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 So you write, right, you write fantasy, but you also write with a, a diverse range of characters. Yeah, I do. Um, I write a lot about um, gender fluidity. Um, I incorporate LGBTQ characters. Um, there are different uh, diverse backgrounds in my stories. Um, there are different locations all over the world, and there are different time periods in my story as well. That's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I mean, like, like, I'm a big kid, you know? I'm like, this is so great. Like, it's got, yeah. Well, it's cool because there are right there's so many places to go so many things to see so many things that you include in the story with this but with the continuity that is really lovely so yeah yeah thanks awesome yeah so fun okay so did you happen to bring a quote this week i did oh excellent (laughs) Um, The quote is from Dwight V. Swain, and I'll read it. How does a scene provide interest? It pits your focal character against opposition. In so doing, it raises a question to intrigue your reader. Will this character win or won't they? Yeah. So, it's... I actually like talking about conflict, even though I don't enjoy it in my own life. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of annoying in my own life. But the cool thing about stories, I think, or one of many cool things, is that we get to play with conflict without having to experience it, you know, ourselves. We don't have to, we don't take the risk 
of the conflict, but we can see it play out and in that way kind of learn something about ourselves and the reactions that we have to conflicts that we see. And it's pretty important, as we'll learn, to have that in scene. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's like... um, not only are we getting to put ourselves in those situations and see what we would do, but we get to, uh, it, it becomes like a thrill ride, kind of like a roller coaster, you know, getting to experience what the character uh, goes through. And it's not just flatlined, you know, characters have changed, characters do change, and they change by being faced with conflict. And in those moments when their hearts are racing, your heart is racing. And when you get to the end of that goal and you succeed, like you're happy too, you know, I love that. That's a great point. Okay, let's turn to the story for today. Our submission is narrated by guest narrator Brian Schwimmer, who's a Patreon quartermaster supporter of the podcast and an all around great guy. To use his words, he is concisely excited for the opportunity to help out the writership team. He's an audiobook narrator and is registered on ACX if you're interested in working with him on your project. Also, because one shameless plug is never enough, you can check out his proofreading skills and get your hands on some super steamy paranormal romance by heading to jennifermancini.com. And we will have the, that address in the show notes. And for the submission, we have Seeker, which is by Smith and Chaos. It's a science fiction novella of about 25,000 words, and it's written within the larger Chaos Nova universe. Seeker by Smith and Chaos. Chapter 1. The transit field at the Rystar system's edge spread its stillness, far away from anything living or important, indifferent to the havoc of incoming travelers. No one to witness the faint glimmer, that innocuous bend in starlight, the violent particle-burst aurorae, indicating that something was about to materialize. The invisible storm passed, leaving a single craft in its wake, a small shuttle of AKN design. Inside the shuttle, solitaire, short beeps pierced the dark and a screen filled up with status reports. Transit to Rysaw system finalized. Calibrating navigation data. Temporal calibration initialized. Inner atmosphere optimal. Thermal control stabilizing. Localized gravity field initializing. A cascade of creaks and shuffles echoed through the interior as equipment and minimal cargo aligned itself to up and down. Life support check completed. Standing by for occupants. The occupants, two humans sealed inside the upright pods at the rear alcove, would remain in stasis until Solitaire reached a district beacon's notification range. The rapid strobing behind the pod's covers made a harsh display of the residence. An adult male, bruised and bloodied, his face hidden behind a brown mane, forearms in restraints. In the other one, a young woman her clean gray garb emphasizing the tousle of dark hair atop her small frame. Temporal calibration complete. Systems check complete. Resuming course. The engine spooled into life, and Solitaire began its journey towards the system's heart and inhabited worlds. 
Receive signal RYDIB072. Slow down initializing. Solitaire reoriented and fired its main thrusters. The command console blipping with incoming info as they flew into the real-time data sphere. Occupant status updating. Pod number two stasis reversal initialized. Interior lighting activate. The seal brake hiss built up to a chorus of whir-click system noises, and a sequence of signal lights flashed at the pod's base. Its front split and the panels slid back, making a gap just big enough to step through. The woman coughed and blinked, kelp forest irises burning dark in her daylight-deprived face. She flinched at the sense of metal under her bare soles, her stasis garb of loose pants and a small shirt offering little help against the chills. She dug a heavy jacket out of a cargo net and tucked it around her as she settled in the lone seat at the controls. An indicator wink registered her presence. Welcome back, Seeker Valkyrie. Her civilian name was Jewel Harper. No one in the ranks knew that. She glanced over the status reports and rubbed her face. Awaiting input. Rystar, Jewel mumbled to herself, the fog in her brain lifting. Connect via Seeker Network. Rystar Station Docking Control. Connecting. Jewel drew her legs inside the jacket cocoon. The console chirped. Connection established. R-Y-S-T. Dockmaster Haynes. The speakers burst out an aging voice, gravelly yet jovial, carrying a hint of excitement. Welcome back, Valkyrie. I trust your hunt went well. Yes. Haynes chuckled at her laconic ways. Good, good. The collector team will meet you at Seeker Dock 2, Bay 15. Confirmed. Well, in that case, enjoy your stay. Dockmaster out. Jewel returned her attention to the main screen. Not much chatter on the local channels. She smiled. To catch the quiet time at the docks meant avoiding so much hassle. Stretching and yawning, she went to find a more professional attire. Most her garments fit in one duffel bag. Armor weave underlayers, cork brown field trousers, a worn conifer green shirt. She was reaching into the shuttle's gear compartment for heavy leather boots and sensed the structural shiver from the easy dock touch. Jewel picked up the preparing pace, clipping on her weapons and tools and shrugging into her jacket. An incoming call alert appeared on the side screen. She zipped up, shouting, Accept! Welcome back, Seeker Valkyrie! Requesting permission to board! Always so chipper, the collectors. Jewel rolled her eyes in authorized entry. The airlock hissed open to reveal, reveal a lightly armored squad in little worn gear. The untidy blonde guy ahead of the group stepped in and offered a caffeine-wired grin. Good morning! Jewel felt a headache forming. Handler Zack, at your service. His grin widened and he glanced towards the pods. This our boy? Give you much trouble? I gave him more. She went over to the console to deactivate stasis, and they waited for the hisses and whirs to conclude. The collection team stepped in, catching the pod's occupant as he slumped forward. Zack slid the collector restraints on him and returned Jewel's in one practice motion. Excellent work. As always, they say. He held out a data pad. Your key code here and we'll be on our way. Jewel folded the cuffs and slid them into a knee pocket. 
She glanced over the form, entered her details, and handed it back. A dull chirp marked the confirmed payment. Zack smiled and nodded to his team. They corralled their prey down the walkway in an orderly bundle. A pleasure. See you next time. She watched the squad moving beyond earshot. I sure hope not. With the doors safely closed behind her, Jewel returned to the console and started up the pod's cleaning routines. The sanitation buzz reminded her that she would need to locate a lavatory. Soon. Doing away with regular commodities was her trade-off for having two stasis pods in such a small craft. With a new sense of purpose and an uptick on her bank balance, Jewel locked up the shuttle and descended to the bowels of Rye Star Station. Okay, so our thanks to Smith and Chaos for the submission and to Brian Schwimmer for narrating it so beautifully. I want to give a little background actually on this one because it's kind of special. First of all, it's a joint project between two authors writing in the Chaos Nova universe. Um, the pen name is Smith and Chaos, but it's you know it's it's two people uh, who are doing this and it's it's come out of a gaming world the gaming world essentially and that's kind of that's kind of cool we've we've never had anything like that that I can remember um so it's coming out of yeah space adventure role play and so it's kind of yeah kind of fun and this is a cool world I think um, that's kind of, you know, that the authors have set up for us to explore and it promises lots of fun and, and plenty of conflict. The prose is really enjoyable and clear and concise and all of that is really fantastic. Um, the one thing that we wanted to talk about is is conflict and I have a great summary of the of the entire story that the author provided so I know what's coming and there's lots of there's lots of danger there's lots of confusion and frustration and our character Jewel is really in for it um, down the road but right here in this scene, we don't have a lot of conflict going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we have right the what's happening in the scene is that she's turning in her she's turning in her prisoner. She's getting paid. Everything goes well with the docking. Every goes everything goes well with the handoff. She gets paid. She's done. And like I said, it all goes well. And that, gosh, you know, that's how I really want things to work out in my life. But in the character's life, even though this is the opening scene and we're kind of acclimating the the reader to her world and we want to make sure that we get all the details of that, we still need some opposing force or antagonistic force to be messing with her right away. 
<laughs> so if we were, um, I was just trying to think about one of the things that, you know, what we don't have the conflict in the scene because there's not an antagonistic force, but we we also don't know what the stakes are for her. So if something were to go badly with that situation, with the handoff, you know, I can think of lots of different things like the, um, the docking situation could go badly. The pod could have not done such a great job that she kept him stored in the, the handoff. There could be some glitch with her getting paid there could be, you know, there's there's lots of possibility. And the thing that I was thinking about that probably is happening here, because I know that the authors are mindful of conflict because they have so much in the rest of the story, that this is kind of like in a movie where we have the opening sequence. It's not an opening sequence, right? It's just the opening scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of the story where they're running the credits and that kind of thing and they're just kind of settling you down into the world and I'm even thinking of Alien. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. where we you know we're seeing things, we've got music going on and so we have a, this sort of sensory experience even though there's no conflict going on. But it doesn't work as well in this medium because there's no music and we don't have the cool, like, you know, expansive views or, you know, we're not looking at a futuristic uh, trucking outfit or, you know, anything <laughs> like that of the sort. So that's why we still need we still need conflict, even though this is the opening scene and we're helping Jewel and the reader kind of settle in. Yeah, I like, I like, I really liked, um, I really liked the way that Smith and Chaos wrote this. Um, like you said, the prose is really, really enjoyable. It, it's like you said, it's like, um, it's, I work, I worked in the film industry too for many, many years and we call this an establishing shot. You know, this is, this establishes the scenario, the atmosphere, you know, where, where are we? You need to, you need to land somewhere. And this is like an opening shot of, you know, a film. But um, um, the thing is, again, this is, uh, what, 25,000 words in length? Yeah, the entire story is about that, yeah. Right. So we want to, you know, we want to get some conflict in there. And it doesn't have to be, like, big and huge right away. But, you know, the first chapter is smooth sailing for Jewel. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity in there to – really show uh what jewel is made of right away you know is if you know perhaps you know the pod didn't work and one of her you know prisoners got out what would happen how would she respond to that you know if the person that was taking the prisoners um didn't give her the money or shortchanged her how would she respond to that you know um so those are some yeah some things that popped out for me too yeah, yeah. And I think it's even um, to e- make it even more powerful, have it be some sort of, 
you know, a smaller but representative conflict of one that she faced, of something she faces later, where we can see a little bit of her metal mm-hmm. right away. And we can know, you know, oh, yeah, Jewel can take care of things. Or, oh, Jewel is a little, you know, she can't quite handle things or whatever. Like, it's a great opportunity to show us how she responds under pressure, Mm -hmm. not under big pressure, but under, you know, just a little bit, just enough so we get a taste of what she's like when things don't go well, because we can't really get the sense of that when everything goes smoothly. I don't know about you, Courtney, but when things are going smoothly for me, (laughs) I can be a different person than when things are really stressful. And (sighs) I wouldn't know anything about that stressful life. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, let me tell you about it. (laughs) No. Um, So yeah, but I was thinking, again, in terms of stakes, like knowing the, you know, having a conflict and knowing what's at stake for her, if it doesn't work out, right? Does it, you know, did this trip to get the prisoner and and all of that, did that represent a significant outlay in time, energy, or money? Is she on the brink of bankruptcy? And it doesn't have to be anything like that. It could be just, well, it should be, I should say, the stakes in this opening scene is the perfect opportunity to show or to showcase her internal genre. So having the thing at stake be a challenge to her, if her, you know, if the way that she changes in her inner journey is, for example, a worldview one where she, you know, changes how she thinks and sees the world, then having the conflict be something that challenges how she thinks about the world. Or if it's a morality or a plot of character in terms of the internal genre, then having it be something that question, you know, that that challenges how she, you know, like her, her sense of right and wrong, and where she falls on the continuum, and what she thinks about other people and where they fall on the continuum. And then of course, there's status plots or plots of fortune. And so how does she measure success? And how does she feel like she's measuring up in that department? So mm-hmm. there's lots of great opportunities. And it doesn't have to be big because we're starting at the beginning. We want to build up to bigger conflict, right, as we go along. Yeah. yeah. But it, we really need a little, a little something to test her. Um, and since this is... Uh, this is the inspiration for this story is coming out of a gaming community. We thought we'd try a little twist on a sort of <laughs> analysis of conflict in yeah. a very simple way. This is very this is not anywhere near as complex as what Jewel faces. But what did we decide to look at? We decided to look at a video game of my childhood and probably many people's childhood, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> it's kind of like it it we talked about it because it was like a perfect little glimpse of storytelling how even like story is everywhere you know mm-hmm. it's in 
it's in TV, it's in the commercials, it's in our lives, it's in games. And in the, you know, one level of Super Mario Brothers, we have a one minute clip. Um, there's all kinds of conflict, you know, there is, there is an inciting incident. There is something that sets, you know, Mario in action, like, you know, um, something makes him have to kick into gear knocks his world out of balance and he has to move forward. And there's, there's some conflict, there's some escalating conflict and there's a turning point. There is a, there is a point where, you know, the energy shifts and pushes Mario forward. And then there's a crisis and a climax and resolution. It's really, really fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a one minute video And in the court, and, you know, obviously someone who knows the game well is playing it because I would do very poorly at it. (laughs) Uh, But, but, and the the video shows him, he's moving along, he's doing well, he doesn't have any missteps. So in that way, it's, it's (laughs) not the perfect example because we do want the characters to have, our characters to have missteps, but he faces a wide range of obstacles and antagonistic forces including right there's a there's an imbalance in power at first or power strength it's really size where he's tiny and then he does something and he successfully um, grows and then Mm -hmm. he faces these mushrooms that will annihilate him um, and they become more plentiful as he gets deeper into the game. So it's a, the sense that it becomes more dangerous as he goes. And then we have a turtle as well. <laughs> very, very dubious turtle. Right. They're very dangerous. Um, and then pipes that he jumps onto and mm-hmm. over that he and they get taller Um and then he has an opportunity to get a boon, essentially, that will give him fireballs uh, mm-hmm. and allow him to defeat the things more and higher jumps that he has to go on. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then what happens? Like, as we're getting near the end of the video. Right. Like Mario's trying to make it to the end and there are these steps that you go up and this is where to me, this is like the crisis, you know, Mario asks himself a question. Do I jump really, really high and try to get to that flagpole or do I try to just walk off the edge and go over and touch the flagpole? And either one, one will give you less points or if you jump high on top of the the pole, you get 5,000 points like you do in the video. Yeah, you get maximum points, right? Which is just a climax, right? That's just like... The decision, I'm going to jump high and then success. I'm going for it. Yeah. (laughs) And so, right, it's a simplistic example, but it's, an again, and not every video game is going to work that way, of course. Like we talked about Tetris is not going to work that way. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, But this was kind of a nice, you know, like showing how he faces obstacles and overcomes them. Now, of course, with... In our scenes and with our characters, sometimes we want them to not be successful. In fact, much of the time, and part of that is that the ob- the conflict and the obstacles they face, and when they fall down and fail, that's essentially putting off resolution of the opening question, right? In 
in the case of our story here, the, in the submission, Jewel is looking for a particular, a very particular bounty. Um, and so it's the opening question for us at the beginning of the story, not in this scene, but the, but the next scenes that come is, you know, is she going to successfully get the bounty? How's that going to work out? And so if we have a, you know, if she gets the bounty, goes and gets him, it's pretty easy, and then turns him in and gets the money like in this scene, then it's not as exciting for us. Right. But what I know from the story is that it's very hard to get a hold of this particular bounty, mm-hmm. and she has to go to many, many places, and it's quite frankly kind of annoying. It's kind of annoying. But, yeah, that's like... All of that is in there. And mm-hmm. yeah, so this main suggestion is to just add that um, something similar to the scene. So, but if we talking about conflict generally, and I was saying that thing that I mentioned earlier about how we don't like conflict in our own lives that can create a problem when we're trying to write for our characters. We care about our characters, most of them. Some of them we might like to torture, but but we care about them, and we try to avoid conflict in our own lives. Yeah, yep. So we don't necessarily embrace conflict and see it as an opportunity to grow. Yeah, it's actually an opportunity to have a lot of fun. Like you said, to torture your character a little bit, because it's like, you you don't want to do this in real life. So how about try it on the page? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So, and the interesting thing is like, that even though we try to avoid it, we encounter conflict constantly. You know, in in different levels, right? There's in inner conflict where we might have opposing values or demands or impulses. And the example I was, my, all my examples revolve around sleep. Interestingly enough, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> I don't know. But let's say the character should go to bed, but the character also wants to watch a movie. This is an inner conflict. Now that's not much of a conflict because of course she's going to watch the movie, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, not necessarily, but it's that I just wanted a simple example of, you know, that like shows the inner, the inner conflict. And then we have interpersonal conflict, right? With between people. So you can have a disagreement with another person. Um, or with other people. So if the character wants some quiet time at night while her housemates are wanting to have a dance party, that's a problem. And they just need to shut that stuff off so she can get some rest. That'll bring up a lot of conflict. I'm sure we've all dealt, if you've had roommates, you've dealt with something like this before. Right, right. Oh, and I should say, it's funny because I mentioned that you were... We were roomies in Nashville, but... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't mean that. That <laughs> wasn't... No, no. That wasn't the problem. Yeah. With either of us. No, we didn't. 
um, or the our third housemate. <laughs> so, no, we all stayed up talking late and nerding yeah. over story. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the the third main type of conflict is extra personal conflict, and this is when opposition is something that your character can't have a human relationship with, like the weather or society or some societal hysteria peer pressure, a machine, technology, you know, like Mm -hmm. the stuff that can make you pull your hair out because it's not really a person. You can't make it do what you want it to do. Um, And my example here is the character wants to go to sleep, but a thunderstorm is raging outside. And so it creates conflict. And, Mm and, Notably, like the character doesn't have to be fully engaged with that, right? She's not going to go out to the thunderstorm and shake her fist and, you know, or she might, but, but she doesn't have to be. That is still something that is getting in the way of her getting what she wants. And as Mm -hmm. a result, it, she's going to have to do something, try something, try something else until she either fails or is successful ultimately. So, and then I had another thought about how conflict is so ubiquitous that it kind of fades into the background and we don't really see it the same way we don't notice the air and fish don't probably notice the water they swim in (laughs) unless the quality changes. You know, unless there's some inciting incident that throws us out of balance. And so since conflict is ubiquitous, we don't necessarily look for all the different levels and all the different ways that it affects us. But we have, of course, in our own lives, plenty of conflict from which to draw to add to our stories and then torture the people who do it to us. I mean, the characters, of course. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Right. So, yeah, what else can we say about conflict? Uh, let's see. We could fake a fight. Mm. Just kidding. No, no. no. Not. Um, <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, I think that um, the main thing that kind of stood out when I read this um, piece, which, again, like, I think uh, I really liked Jewel. Like, right away, we get to see her. We, we, we know she is a tough tough person she's a bounty bounty hunter yeah and not only is she a bounty hunter but she's on her own so like that's like double tough it's not like she has a partner like that show from the 80s anyway (laughs) i was thinking of like you and i kind of talked briefly about the killjoys which they there is you know uh dutch and uh i can't remember the other guy's name it might be ryan but i could be wrong and then they end up bringing up like um the other guy's brother uh, involved, and they're all bounty hunters in space too. Um, so they have a team. They have a team, you know. They yeah. have like three people to like help bring one person back. But here's Jewel; she's one person bringing two people back. So we know she's tough. Yeah. I wanted to see her be tough. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to see it right off the bat. You know, I wanted to know what is going to knock her out of balance, and how is she going to get herself back in balance? Right. But in this first scene, what we end up seeing is everything goes so smoothly. She's got her people in their their pods, and she docks and gets the money, and they go on their way. And um, 
yeah, I just it kind of it kind of stood out to me that like, okay, well, what is jewel really made of? Right. And seeing that, especially right away in a twenty five thousand word piece, um, I think is is pretty important to get right down to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say some things about conflict generally and and knowing that the authors understand conflict because they've got it to the hilt uh, in the rest of the story. So but if somebody struggles with creating conflict, that it's it's kind of a, a simple process if you kind of pull it apart. And you know how I like I like to just you know, break everything down. So if you're, if you're wanting to create conflict, the, you want to look at your point of view character and figure out what it is they want. You know, what is the character's goal? Goals can be achieve of, you know, ones of achievement or ones of resistance. So you want to obtain or attain something or you want to stop something and they should be they 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 arise out of the inciting incident as we i can't remember which episode but we talked about that how when the character's world is thrown out of balance or they are thrown off kilter, then there's a desire that arises from that situation, which may be nothing more than I want to get back to the way things were before that happened. And that doesn't usually go well. But the point is they have some goal, some desire, and it should be specific, concrete, and immediate. And if you've ever done a goals workshop, I was thinking about mm-hmm. this. Oh, that sounds like smart goals, which smart are goals. specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. And maybe not all of those factors go into your character's goal, but it's good to think about those kinds of things to make the goal, you know, to be so that you have super clarity about what the character's goal is. And then you can, you can use that knowledge, that specificity to reveal things about the character and what she's willing to do to achieve her goals and what she's not willing to do and how she handles setbacks and that kind of thing. It's all wonderful stuff for your story. Um, and a goal is a decision to act. Um, so I love this because I'm, I'm just pulling in all the business stuff today. <laughs> I, there's a business fable about a chicken and a pig who discuss opening a restaurant. And that restaurant is called Ham and Eggs. And the pig <laughs> says, mm, no thanks. Uh, because while the chicken is merely interested providing eggs the pig would be committed so your character should be committed you know should be ready ready to act on their goal not just be oh i kind of want that so and you want that to be really clear so you can imagine what what the character would do to bring that about right yeah so what so if, for example, in a situation like this where she wants to get paid, 
Mm-hmm. As you know, we can say that's probably, you know, you do the work, you want to get paid. So what would she be willing to do if that, you know, if the pay were somehow disrupted, you mm-hmm. know, like she's going through everything's working and then they say, oh, yeah, we'll send that to you next week. Mm-hmm. And then she'd be like, uh, like no. Uh, hell no. <laughs> right? <laughs> Pay me now. You know, I'm turning him in now. Or them. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be able to, like, you know, think of the things your character could do. And so once you've got that all, that's your setup for conflict is really nailing, like, what does she, what does she want? And all of that, it's good to think about why she wants it too, but it's not absolutely critical in this, you know, for setting up the conflict. But then you add the opposing force, which is someone or something that has a goal that's mutually exclusive. So I was thinking of, you know, what immediately arises for me is irresistible force meets immovable object and... I know some people say that that paradox is flawed, but regardless, you get the picture (laughs) that we have opposing forces. And you can have all kinds of, you can have the conflict manifest in a lot of different ways that can have a fight, you know, where people are actually, you know, either physically or verbally sparring. You can have disagreements where people just, you know, they disagree, but they're not really acting on it just yet. You can have people bickering. You can have obstruction. Um, you can have personality clashes, which is always fun, I think. And I really like when there's, you know, when we have different points of view on the internal genre related to the conflict so that the two opposing forces represent different sides of the mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of is making me, you know, go back to the quote that I brought, which is, you know, uh, will the character win or won't they? So if that conflict is there and the opposing force is there, who's going to win? Like, we want our protagonist to win, but we don't want to know they're going to win. We don't want to expect it. We want to be surprised and we want to celebrate when they win or, you know, be sad when they don't win. Yeah. Can't win every single time. Right. Yeah. Like when people watch us, you know, say, for example, a football game, right? It's not that fun. Maybe it is for some people. Maybe they're just relieved. Mm. I don't know. If it's a runaway game and you're the winning team. But for the most part, people like a game where people where the score is close and where it comes down to the wire. Yeah. And those games are exciting. Back and forth. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. It's like the World Series. If they win in the first four, you almost think that it's kind of like rigged in a way when they <laughs> go to all seven games and like you're just like, how did that happen? Because if they win the first three and then next thing they're losing the next three. You know, but the thing is, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. It keeps you ready to watch that game. It keeps you watching to the very, very end. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) we can have power differentials, right, too, that'll create 
conflict. And of course, the environment. Don't want to forget the environment because we have conflicts with people. But then, I mean, I think and I think of this as a as an aspect of the environment when I'm having a technological challenge or even just I can't make the can opener work, you know, that kind of (laughs) it's not very high tech, but um, or at all. I know. I know. I I remember from my childhood having ones, you know, you plug in. And now I think, why do we have those? That seems. Yeah. Anyway. Waste of space. But yeah. (laughs) There were all kinds of appliances. I mean, it's not like we don't have gadgets now. Lord knows we do. But. (laughs) Gadgets are great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not going to justify them. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But okay, so the level and the type of conflict you want should be, you're including, should be appropriate for your scene. Um, You don't want, for example, when you're, if you're in the climax, you know, where everything's on the line, that conflict should be like, that's the conflict of the story playing out. And mm-hmm. who's going to win and who's going to lose. But here we, in the opening, we just want to taste, right? Just a little, a little something. It doesn't have to be big. Um, and then also, for example, within, you know, act one or the beginning hook, your climactic scene within that act, you want that to be, you know, you want the conflict turned up for that scene, as opposed to the very opening scene, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or the scene, some of the scenes that come in the middle. So gradually we want to be right. Mario faces bigger conflicts as he goes along. Yep. And before he gets to the flagpole. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anything else you want to add about conflicts? I know we didn't have one come up during the show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You were knocking gadgets there at the very end. (laughs) We're going to have a disagreement about that. (laughs) Don't you wear an Apple watch? (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny that. (laughs) Um. Uh, I had a thought and I think I forgot, but I mean, I think, you know, again, have fun writing these conflict Mm. scenes and like, think about, you know, even just drawing from your life and being inspired by something. If you have a fight with your brother or you, you know, um, you, uh, run into the back of a car with your car, like, and there's a Mm. conflict between, you know, the person that you've bumped into I mean like hopefully it's not too bad but you know you can draw from these little things that happen in your life and and make them so much bigger in the story and um be inspired by that just so you want to bring you want to bring that like conflict and that tension and see how your characters are going to respond you know would they respond the way you would maybe but maybe they're going to respond in a much different way or maybe a completely opposite way um maybe you'd get in a fight with your brother and you know you know slink away and slam your door and go go hole up or maybe you would you know you know 
punch him in the, in the arm or, you know, I don't know. Hopefully I don't, I'm not condoning that, but. Um, <laughs> but your character. Yeah, character. Yeah, but, um, you know, conflict can be in your story. It can actually be a real source of uh, fun uh, to play with, yeah. you know, and it, and it can really uh, create that, you know, that, that tension for your reader to be having fun and going on that journey with you because without it there's no there's no um you know uh, heart racing and sweating for even your reader you know they're going to stay the same level that your protagonist is and if your characters are just having an easy smooth time they're going to be like okay all right whatever you know i think i'm going to i think i'm going to put this book down right now because uh, yeah i got to go to bed or i want to watch this tv show or whatever but if they're like on the edge of their seat and they're reading and oh man i hope that doesn't happen and then they're sweating with the character and next thing you know it turns and man you know they're going to sit there and very likely finish out that chapter and maybe even start the next chapter yeah. so it's it's important for all kinds of reasons working out your personal issues as well as <laughs> keeping somebody engaged you know yeah. Yeah. I think about how frustrated I feel when I have pressure, you know, and then like there's a time pressure or something like that. And then there's a big obstacle like traffic in my city. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is it is getting worse and worse. Um, I know there are people who have it worse, so I'm not I'll. I won't say any more about still, that. It's still frustrating. It's, 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 it's frustrating when you have yeah. someplace you need to be. Yep. And, you know, or like you leave on time to get somewhere and there's a big accident or something like that, you know, that's just and traffic is not moving. And it's just I, I can conjure that feeling within me so easily. And, mm. you know, I think writing from the place of what what you find deeply frustrating mm -hmm. in life would give you lots of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel that tension sitting in the car right now just talking about it. Yeah, I need to loosen up my shoulders. <laughs> right. Okay, so I just happen to have an editorial mission about conflict. Ooh, I can't wait to hear about it. So this one's called Check Your Scenes for Conflict. But what I want you to do first is to go review a scene from a book or a movie in your genre. And I want you to look for one that is similar to the one you're trying to work on. You know, the... You know, if you're working on the opening scene, you can check out an opening scene or the climax or a turning point or, you know, whatever you're trying to add some conflict to or whatever you want to learn something about, you know, get some ideas. Um, so review that scene and then ask yourself these questions. What is the point of view character's goal in the scene? If you're not sure, then look for the inciting incident, right? That's the thing that pulls the character out of balance or her world out of balance. And then consider what the character wants as soon as that happens. Then look at what is the force or what are the forces of antagonism in the scene? Who or what stands in that character's way? And what does that force of antagonism want? Right, because it can be different Right. It can be that the two characters want the same thing. Uh -huh. You know, 
there's one donut left and the two characters want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they might go about getting it in different ways, right? Right. That's totally like, true. Because somebody might <laughs> be like, oh, trying to negotiate. And someone might say, eh, you know, and just yeah. and use physical force. Don't recommend it. But, no. <laughs> but characters, again. So when... Yeah, so that's one possibility. Other possibilities, right, are that, um, let's see, I'm trying to think on the spot now, because I didn't prepare an example about this, but where there are two things that are, characters want two different things, but they're mutually exclusive. So if, for example, a family has one car and... No, that's the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so, right, if someone wants to go for a walk in a certain neighborhood, but there's construction going on and the sidewalks are all torn up, the people who, that's not a great example, but I hope you can see what I'm going for, that there, there can be, you can't have both. So, um, why can't I think of this? So you it, say it again. It's two people that are trying to get different things. Yeah, they want but different they still things. Have, yeah, but they're yeah, mutually I mean, maybe, exclusive. Um, I mean, maybe it's like sometimes you know my partner wants to go for a walk, and sometimes I actually just want to sit on the couch and keep reading the book. And but if I want to spend time with her, then, um. I better get up off the couch and go for that walk. Is is that similar to what you're thinking? Yeah, it's kind of Not- like that. You want two different things, but you can't be in two places at one time. Right. So right. That, that's a conflict. Yeah. But it sounds like you resolved that really easily. So. Oh, yeah. That wasn't really a, a, a tension one. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay. So continuing on with your scene analysis that you're doing, um, you know, you're figuring out what the force of antagonism wants. And then look at the levels of conflict in the scene. Is it inner conflict? Is it interpersonal? Is it extrapersonal? And, you know, like, how is that? How is that manifesting in the scene? Is it introduced through dialogue? Or is it introduced through action? Is another thing, a good thing to look at. Like, how do different people different creators show conflict and add conflict to a scene. And then, and then, yeah, again, how does the conflict manifest? Is it a fight? Is it a disagreement? Is it bickering? Is it obstruction? Is there a personality clash that's happening? Is there a power differential? Is there something going on with the environment? So you were going to Look at all those things because those are the things that are going to help you kind of see like what makes a scene with great conflict tick is how has the writer set that up. And then you want to take what you've learned from that and review one of your scenes and then, you know, and then of course revise as appropriate, but you will have learned some something 
you know, like there's something new about conflict just by looking at that. And you can look at that over the course of an entire book or movie, but also look at those individual scenes because you need to build that conflict in and build it up over time. So that is your mission for the week. And a special, it's not a special reminder, it's the usual reminder. You can find the editorial missions at writership.com slash episodes. And you can also sign up to have the editorial missions delivered right to your inbox. I got to say, Leslie, this is the most fun kind of work that we get to do as writers, besides writing, but homework where you get to go just just go and watch something and look at the components of that scene I mean you can just do it over and over and just enjoy it and somebody's gonna walk in the room and say what are you doing get off the couch you're like this is work this is work because it it is it's 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 fun work and it's critical thinking and eventually you will start to be able to pick out all those parts um like really 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 quickly yeah yeah, it's quite an education, and I have no inner conflict about that. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> All right. So remember, the podcast is sponsored by Jim Kukrell from the Author Marketing Club. Jim has just launched his new service for authors called Happy Book Reviews. We all know that books with more high-quality reviews sell more copies. HappyBookReviews.com is a service where Jim hopes to make your book happy with reviews. Check out the options at www.HappyBookReviews.com because nobody likes a sad book. You can make your book happy with reviews. So, as well, the fantastic Jim Kukrell and Author Marketing Club cover hosting and technical support for the show, but our Patreon crew supports our time and preparation. We have, of course, it's not brand new, but we have a a new-ish reward for the quartermaster's level, which is the Writership Podcast Book Club, when each month we will... Choose a book from your suggestions. I'll read it and analyze it, and then we'll discuss it in a recorded call. For more information about the book club or other ways to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash writership. If you enjoy the show and want to show your support, you can leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to have your five pages reviewed, please visit writership.com slash submissions. Thanks so much to Courtney Harrell for being with me today. To Thanks find for out, having me. <laughs> and to find out more about her and get in touch with her outside of the podcast, you can go to the show notes and find a link to her website there. That's it for episode 122. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.